If you got your Bibles, <clears throat> go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 15. Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Get it, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, please let us hear your word and be instructed by them. Truly have mercy on us, my God, <clears throat> and allow us to truly hear, to truly learn, and to be changed by your word and your truth, God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you have your way in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives completely, God. Be God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Picking up in Romans chapter 1. And we're continuing from where we stopped last week. Last week we talked about sin and what it was that sin did to mankind and those created in the image of God. And we talked about how sin was a principle, not just actions that we do, but a principle of force, something that seeks to dominate us. And we gave a couple of attributes of sin, that sin has power, that those who commit sin become a slave to it. It controls their thoughts, their actions, and the things that they do. But not only does it have power, that it, there's pleasure to sin. It, it gives us joy. It, it gives us moments of satisfaction. It, it uses the good of it to, to draw us in and to deceive us. But lastly, we talked about how there's a punity to sin. And then the ultimate end of sin is death and destruction. And it causes displeasure from God. And so we're going to pick up on that point a little bit and talk about something that's a tad bit heavy. Tad bit heavy and a slight bitly controversial. And that's part of the penalty of sin and this idea of a reprobate mind. And what we're going to do, we're going to read pretty much this whole entire chapter of Romans, picking up at verse 15. And we're going to try to explore what does it mean, this idea of a reprobate mind. And just to set the background as we go forth to show you what in my mind. A common idea when I was first brought into the church, uh, started seeking after God and Christianity, when this idea of reprobation or uh, having a reprobate mind came up, the instructions that I received was that this is a level of rejection and depravity that God cast upon some very horrible people. And that this is a sign of a severe judgment of God and for a lot of people I started connecting with that grew up in church, this is like a dread and a fear. Like, man, you better hope you don't be a reprobate. You like, God give you over to a reprobate mind, it's over with. Like, that's the end. And so we're going to look at that a little bit and one, see to what degree is that is true and try to grasp some type of understanding of what it truly means to be a reprobate or to have a reprobate mind. But first, let's read, just get the whole picture. Starting in verse 15. It says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath shewed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorify him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in the lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Like I said, this is a very heavy piece of scripture. And what we're going to do is just try to unpack it. Let's walk with it a little bit and see can we truly understand this idea of reprobation. And if you notice, Paul has a pattern here that he's going through. And this is the opening for the entire book. And if you really don't understand what's going on in chapter one, the rest of the gospel as it being unfolded throughout the rest of the chapters really doesn't make sense. So in here, Paul gives his declaration. And in verse 16, 15 and 16 really is his open declaration, his thesis statement. Really 15, 16 and 17. He's showing you what it is that his mind is focused on. So Paul's idea is that he's ready to preach the gospel to the people that are in Rome. So he's eager. He's, he, he wanted to get to them, to demonstrate to them, to proclaim to them the gospel of God. Why? In verse 16. Say it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. So Paul's willingness, his longing to proclaim the gospel is because he believed that God's power lies within this message, within this good news, and his power is demonstrated to everybody that believes. So salvation comes through the gospel, and this power of salvation is demonstrated to everybody that believes. You, you, you see in the picture. So he want to preach. This preaching possessed the power. And this power that it possesses is the power to deliver, the power to save. And it's manifested or is revealed to everybody that believe. It says for to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And that's an amazing thing that caught me this week. I never thought about it before. Paul's talking about the gospel and the power of the gospel to save. In verse 17, he said, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And I, I had a brief moment to pause. In the unfolding of the declaration of gospel, 
Paul gets the idea of the thing that is demonstrated, that is manifested through the gospel. It's not the love of God, but the righteousness of God. Was gave me a thought. It's like in our world, the love is the big part of the gospel. That's the love, love. The gospel in one word is love. I think that's a hymn or something. Everything is about love. And that's the whole purpose of the gospel. But Paul said, through the preaching of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And just doing perusing, not really letting look too deep into it. But I think if we track throughout all the pages of scripture, the righteousness of God is revealed on more pages than the love of God. It talks more about God's righteousness than it does about his love. We see more acts of his, his righteous standards, his declarations of justice, his declaration of mercy, his declaration of all the good that's supposed to be done and demonstrated to people than love. And love is an expression or is contained in the idea of God's righteousness. So the thing that is revealed, yes it is, the thing that is manifested through the gospel is the righteousness of God. And it is revealed from faith to faith. So it's carried along, this righteousness is amped up, it's moved through this vehicle of faith. Because the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. But now what is he talking about? Is he talking about some idea of righteousness, some 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 lofty thing that is up in heaven that God has? No. How do you know that? Because he points back to the Old Testament expression of the just shall live by faith or the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteousness that is revealed is an express act that is demonstrated through the life of those who believe. Y- y'all get what I'm saying? It's very important. How's it going to make this whole sin stuff make sense? So the righteousness that is revealed is demonstrated through the life of those that is believed. It is not something that's just up there that we receive and we possess and it cannot be seen. That's why it said righteousness of God is revealed there. It's shown. It's demonstrated. It is made manifest from faith to faith because the just shall live by faith. So what he's saying is the power that produces salvation demonstrates the righteousness of God and that righteousness is manifested through the life of those that believe. We show forth the righteousness of the God as we believe. It's demonstrated. It can be seen. Are you with me? But then he goes to something that don't seem quite match up. And he follows it with a four. That four is because of, for the reason stated. So for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The righteousness is revealed from faith to faith through the salvation of the gospel. And it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So Paul is ready to preach and bring this gospel, which brings salvation because there's righteousness and there's wrath. The righteousness is revealed through the just, through the living. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of man, or ungodliness, unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God's wrath is demonstrated just as his righteousness is demonstrated. And it's demonstrated in the life. The righteousness is demonstrated in the life of those who believe. This unrighteousness is demonstrated in the life of those who hold the truth in ungodliness. or hold the truth in unrighteousness. So there's a parallel that he's putting. 
So just as righteousness can be demonstrated, judgment can be demonstrated. Wrath, hatred, anger. And that word wrath there doesn't mean expressions of wrath. Like not, it's just get the idea. Like you said, we, in the world, you see there's two type of mad people most time you run into. There's the one that you say something out the way and they just blow up. Boom. You get to punching walls and doing all that crazy stuff. That's one type of anger. That's one type of wrath. And there's another type. When they get mad, they, you know what I'm saying? They just get all quiet, bubble up, their heart start beating fast, hands get to shaking. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a bubbling that, that goes on inside of him that, that is frustration it ain't always shown it's not always seen but you know that it's there because there's a disturbing that's going on inside of them and that's the word that's using here it's the frustration it's, it's the anger the agitation of God so there's something in the, all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man that disturbs God that arouses his anger that in the Old Testament, the, the parallel word means to make the nostrils to flare. <laughs> that's, you get the picture. That's, that's what the word means. Nostrils flare up. And that's what happens to God. And that is what's going on inside of God against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of man. So just like the righteousness is revealed, the wrath is revealed. And all of this is contained in the gospel, the good news. Are y'all with me? And it is, like I say, it's going to get deeper as we go. Watch this now. And what is this wrath revealed against? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. So there ain't none ungodliness or no unrighteousness that is left out. If there is ungodliness, if there is unrighteousness, the wrath of God is against that. Say it one more time. All the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I like the way he, he worded it. He didn't just say all the ungodly and unrighteous men, but it's all the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. Because we have this idea where there are categories of sinners. There are sinners who are under the wrath of God, and there are sinners who are exempt from the wrath of God. That's our modern understanding of the gospel. So if you repeat it after the preacher, you move to the category where you are a sinner who is not under the wrath of God. So your sin don't count. And God somehow don't get angry when he sees your sin. Because all he sees is Jesus when you sin. God some put on blinders that don't allow him to see reality as it truly is. Because the blood of Jesus has been washed over his eyes and he can no longer see correctly when he's looking at people who are washed in the blood of Jesus. And that's the idea that we got. So you can live like the devil, as I heard one preacher say, and still be a child of God. The wrath of God is exempt from you. But that ain't what Paul is saying. Because the wrath is revealed against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. There's none that's excluded. So professors of Christ, their ungodliness and their unrighteousness evoke the wrath of God as well as non-professors of Christ. Their ungodliness and their unrighteousness provoke the wrath of God because the wrath don't discriminate. It's against all of it. Watch, watch. Now it gets beautiful. In verse 19. 
said, because that that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God is shooted unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, if you're talking about why the wrath of God is demonstrated to these people, because most time when you're out on the street and you're talking to people about the wrath and the punishment of God and hell and eternal damnation and all that good stuff, they're like, man, what about the man on the back of the mountain in the middle of the desert on the other side of the moon? Like, Ain't nobody ever talked to him. Now my question be, how you know he exists? If ain't nobody ever talked to him, like, ain't nobody been out there. So how we know he out there? But that's the that's always the, the the pushback. What about these people who have never heard? What about the folks deep down in the middle of the Amazon who run around with strings on, killing one another and slaughtering babies and so on and so forth? Nobody ever been down there. How is it that God going to judge them? How is it you believe that they're not going to be saved and people who grew up in Muslim countries and so on and so forth? Nobody ever preached to them. How is it that God can punish those who do not know? Paul answers that question. It's like that which may be known of God is revealed unto them because God showed it to them. So everybody that is born of a woman live on this planet that we call earth has some knowledge of God built into them because God designed it and demonstrated it that way. So that the conclusion he gets is that they are without excuse. And that word without excuse means there's no defense. Their position is indefensible. There is no rationale. There is no response for these people because God has made known who he is to them. Enough so that they should know that they can seek after him. That's Acts 17. So Paul, Paul says God created the world so that men can feel after him if perhaps they may find him. And the ideal is God set this thing up to the degree that we know that there's a God out there. Even those who deny know the reality of the thing that they are denying. So there is no excuse for the man. So you who will never meet a true atheist on this planet. You'll meet people who reject the knowledge of God. You'll meet people who deny the knowledge of God, but you'll never meet people who don't believe that there is a God because life as we know it does not make sense without the knowledge of him. He said there's no explanation that there's nothing inside a man that can explain to him why when he looks up in the heavens and he see big giant balls hanging on nothing. That should provoke questions. Because the world as we observe it, big things grow on vines, small things grow on trees. Because if watermelon grew on trees, there not have to be some huge trees. Because of the size and the weight of them, you, it takes something to hold up something that strong. But when we look in the heavens, we see vast things that just hang there by themselves. We don't see no strings. Maybe that's why God don't let it be light up there, so you can't see a string. He's doing a magic show. It's <laughs> all a big diorama with fish wild. <laughs> but there is no anything that sustains these things. So the idea of the way that we have it provokes within us a searching and a longing. Because even when I talk to people on the street about evolution, they be getting deep, man. I'm saying, I don't believe in that, but Bob, I believe in science. Like, okay, that's pretty deep, man. I'm glad you believe in science. I'm somebody that that real deep. I'm saying so. Ah, uh, how you think the world got here through uh, evolution? Okay, what did it start with? Because I believe in science too, and science always tell me 
that nothing cannot produce something. If you start out with nothing, you will end with nothing. Well, it was a big bang. What banged? <laughs> Some atoms. There was a spark. There was a lightning. So that is something. You cannot escape the eternality that it pushes you to. Now, people try to, well, who made God? Well, God made God. See, but who made him? And I always push the question back. So whatever answer I give you to your question, they're going to produce the same question. Something has to be first. And this idea of an eternal something is inescapable. That's why for a long time they posited eternal matter, that the earth was eternal. Then they kept researching and studying and they realized that's a lie. Now we don't know what made. And the amazing thing is, like I said, I listen to these boring folks sometimes and it, it excites me. But just just aside, I ain't going to stay on this too long. But there are PhDs and very smart people who will mock at me and laugh me at me because I say God created the world. And they make some of us feel quite dumb and quite stupid and unsophisticated because we say that. But can I tell you, some of the deepest of these brothers out there that do some of the heaviest scientific research, they out there talking about aliens coming down here and injecting a goo with matter that produce life. This is, this, I'm talking about real scientific research papers that posit this stuff because they ran into the problem of eternality that they cannot escape. So something had to start it, but it cannot be God. So it was some green thing from somewhere that came to this planet which was one of a hundred billion ones and they got all these ideas like multiverses and all this stuff going on trying to explain how eternal how life can come from nothing without positing the eternal thing. I'm talking they get deep. The brother tell you that this is one of a billion universes. It's like a billion of these going on right now. And the whole world is just keep trying and this is the only one that got it right. That's why you get them sci-fi movies like you got like purpose entering into a whole nother existence and it's a whole nother world in the end time. Because they, they get this stuff from listening to them deep folks. Now, I'm crazy for saying there was one God who has all power and all strength that can do anything he want to. But they ain't crazy for saying there was an alien that flew in space in one of a hundred billion worlds that keep trying and keep trying and glitching until one of them got it right and they injected some goo into a swamp. And then dinosaurs start walking. Then one day dinosaurs got mad and turned into birds and started flying. That one day fell out the sky and turned into apes. That one day broke their back and turned into a human. That sounds real deep, though. <laughs> but that shows you the level that people are willing to go to to explain life without God. But they don't tell you that in science class because that sounds quite stupid, and your teacher don't know all that stuff because she just heard what they read in the book, and they can't publish that in a regular book because they're going to sound food for call enough food. But that's a whole other thing. So these people out there rejecting the knowledge of God, though the man in the back of the mountain in the middle of the desert on the other side of the moon, he don't have an excuse because what can be known of God is revealed unto him, and it said because God showed it to him. Verse 21. That's this. Now I'm going to get deep. You see, notice all these things start with because. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Now, this is the crux of where these people are. So they have rejected the knowledge of God. God showed it to them. They're indefensible. They are without excuse. And the reason they are without excuse is because when they knew God, they committed a couple offenses. Three, specifically, we're going to point out. So they glorified him not as God. They were not thankful. And they started professing themselves to be wise. These are the three characteristics of these people. They glorified him not as God. They were not thankful. And they started professing themselves to be wise. The first ones, they simply understand. They didn't honor God as God. They didn't lift him up. They didn't exalt him to the level that he's supposed to be. They just refused to give glory to God. The second one gets a little stingy a little bit. Said neither were they thankful. That's deep that Paul would put this in the list that is condemning all of mankind. They didn't glorify God. We understand that. You got people around there, they call it ancestors God. You got people around there, they carving out wood and calling that stuff God. See, these people, they don't even, they don't even know God. That's why we call them heathens, so on and so forth. Cause they, they don't know God. Like, we don't understand that. I thank God every morning. I thank God every night. Every time before I eat, I say my blessing. But these guys, he go to another level. Not only did they not glorify God, they wasn't thankful. There's an expression of gratitude that God requires of us. And the lack of that gratitude demonstrates within us something of the rejection of the knowledge of God. So there should be an impulse and a response to us who truly know God that we're both thankful and we give glory to God. Separate and distinct. Which requires us to have God on my mind to recognize the goodness that God has given us. Complaint. And always complaining and always talking down and everything is always glum should not be the disposition of a person that knows God. Let everything be done without murmuring and complaining or whining and grumbling. That you may be the children of God who shine like light in the midst of a crooked and perverse world. That's Philippians. That's what we're supposed to be. Thankful people. We're supposed to be people of joy, people of gratitude, gracious people. But these people did not glorify God, neither were they thankful. And what did that produce in them? It says, but they're vain, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so this lack of giving glory to God, this lack of thank, being thankful to God, produced within them a vainness of imaginations. Their minds, the way that they thought, their perceptions, their reasonings became empty, worthless, and their hearts was darkened. They could not see, they could not understand. Because they did not glorify God because they were unthankful to God. And in verse 22, it said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So this is what these people began to do. Refused to glorify God, was not thankful to God, and began to proclaim in their own wisdom apart from God. This idea of autonomy, that we exist in and of ourselves, that the world is ours for the making. We have to get it right. If it's going to be good, we're going to have to make it good. That is a lie. Everything that we are is dependent upon who he is. And if your wisdom, if your understanding flows from anything other than the knowledge and the revelation of God, you are not wise. 
But these people professed themselves to be wise. They became fools, just like them scientists I was telling you about. They so deep and they so intelligent, they became foolish. Now these jokers out there probing space, we paying millions of dollars of tax dollars, bringing back rocks from the moon just so they can try to figure out how some other being came down here and injected a goo with the, the basic amino acids for life. Those are our tax dollars going to. So in our protest to defund Planned Parenthood, we need to defund NASA too. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> it's deep. Because we complain we ain't got enough money. We can't educate our kids because we ain't got enough money. We can't take care of our poor because we ain't got enough money. One day I'm going to work all these years and pay all this money and they tell me I might not get no money back from the government because we ain't got enough money. But we got enough money to pay three, four, five, six million dollars to bring a rock back from the moon. We got enough money to just put a satellite to roll around and take pictures. Now them pictures and everything cool and they help you out your GPS and all that other type stuff. That's cool. But I wouldn't be sad if you gave me three, four, five, six million dollars back and I had to use a map. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm, saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, they still sell them in the gas station. You go print that big thing out there. If they're going to put six, seven, eight million dollars and make the school stop calling me every couple months, I'm going to, we need a fee. <laughs> I'll be gladly appreciated. But this is what the wisdom of man produces. It produces foolishness. Like I was reading, y'all got me on the government. I'm going to leave government alone. That ain't what I'm supposed to be talking about. But I was reading this study, deep study. So I got a grant. I think it was like $2 million grant. Can't remember the exact number. It was something to that degree. And they did research on children. And the conclusion that they reached to was that children appreciate school lunch more if the person that's serving them smiles and look clean. This is no job. No joke. This, this was a real research study that the federal government funded. And these are the real conclusions that the, the research was done to show you that if the person dresses clean, has a pleasant look on their face, children are more willing to eat. That if they wash their hands, children will be more accepting of receiving the food. Like this, this deep stuff that we pay millions of dollars for out of our tax dollar. These are the people who run in our country. They passed our grants for this stuff. Because they are wise. In processing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. Because <laughs> it don't take a rocket science to figure out that children don't want to look eat for nobody that look nasty and mean. I could have told them that. <laughs> for two dollars, I could have done that research. <laughs> it, it's not deep. But there's a state of this world and there's a state of mankind where their own desire for wisdom, apart from God, produces foolishness. And watch this. It said, in their professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of God unto corruptible, the glory of the uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man, into four-footed beasts and the birds and the creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now this is where it started to get heavy at. If you notice, this phrase is going to show up three times when we read it. God gave them up. God gave them over. So this is the first one. That God gave them up unto uncleanness. 
So because these people were unthankful, because they thought that they were wise when they really weren't, and because they did not glorify God, but instead glorified the creation more than the creator, God gave them up to uncleanness. So God surrendered them. God allowed them to be taken captive or slaves to uncleanness. To uncleanness, the things that are not right. And the result was that, I mean, and they got that through the lust of their own flesh. So this is the picture. You got a group of people refusing to acknowledge God as God, exalting everything on the planet above God. And God in respond, giving them over or giving them up to uncleanness, allowing the lust of their flesh to take over. That's the basic picture. And this is a part of the judgment of God. Like I said, it's going to be repeated three times throughout this passage, throughout this text. So this one, he gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their flesh. So the thing that God used to punish them, the thing that God used to take over them is their own lustful desires that they had within them. And it caused them to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So they took the thing that God gave them and they dishonored it. They desacralized it. They used it in a manner that was inconsistent with the glory that was given unto it because God allowed their lust to take over. This is part of the judgment of God. You understand what I'm saying? They dishonored their own body. And there's this idea that has taken hold in our culture. And I can't think of who it was. They put it quite pointedly. I I don't have them type of words to do it like that. So I ain't going to even try to repeat what they said. But the, the basic idea is, like, if you look at our culture and the movement of our culture and everything that's going on in our world today, there's a lot of divisiveness and there's there's a lot of disturbing that's going on and a lot of shaking that's happening right around now. And one of the big forms of it is basically sex is 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 creating this this whole chaotic thing and the idea that some christians get confronted with is how is it that you can stand up for the dark skinned man and fight for his rights and think that it's just and equal for him to be treated in a certain way but not stand up for the homosexual man because both of them are trying to express themselves like you, you're being inconsistent. If you're for love and justice and mercy, you need to be for love and justice and mercy. You can't pick who you want to love and who you want justice to be shown to. That's an argument that, that, that comes against Christians. Like y'all picking and choosing. So the churches rallied together back in the 60s. The churches came together. And even through the times of slavery, you had the Quakers and, and you had the Methodists. They was out there pounding the pavement, standing up on the corner preaching and proclaiming that, that the evils of slavery. And they all said that they was doing this because the Bible shows that man is man and man should be treated justly and man should be treated fairly. But nowadays, y'all churches are attacking the people who are being treated unjustly. Y'all churches are going against these people and y'all are fighting them and y'all are the instruments of their injustice. How in the world can you choose? And a guy, like I said, I can't remember who said it. He, he, he captured the thought that I couldn't quite express. And the idea was is that the biological makeup of a man is something given to them by God. 
Therefore, it is sacred. What you call race or ethnicity, whatever hip word you choose to use, that's a sacred thing. It's something that God created and implanted into man. So it deserves to be honored. It deserves to be respected and reverenced because God crafted it and God made it. And it works the same thing with sex. It is something that is sacred, that God created, that God made, and it deserves the same level of honor. So the thing that is going on with our culture is that we are attempting to hold sacred the humanity of human beings while desacralizing the institution of marriage that God has created. So you say you can't violate this because God made this and this is who people are. But you can violate this one because people should be free to do whatever they want to do. So there's a dishonoring and there's a degradation that takes place in our culture and our society when we express ourselves and we use our bodies to do the thing that God has told us not to in a way that is inconsistent with the creation of God. That's a desacralizing of yourself. When you dishonor or disregard or disrespect the created order that God has made, God made sex and it's good. He made it for marriage. And the institution that he created is a sacred institution that God created and it deserves to be respected. And you cannot lower that and attempt to take the fruits of it while at the same time chopping and burning down the tree. That is something that God does not take honor in. And the culture that we live in shows a manifestation of this giving up because we are a world filled with people dishonoring their bodies. And it is driven by lust. If it feel good, do it. If you want it, express it. Yeah, be yourself. Don't let nobody stop you from being great. Whatever that means. And so we cannot be people driven by lust because if we are people driven by lust, that's a manifestation that we are people that has been given up. But this thing will get a little deeper. Verse 27. I mean, verse 25 said, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, even into women, even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. So it shows another level. They worship the creature more than the creator. And because of this, God gave them up. This time, he go from uncleanness to vile affections. That word vile affection is just basically nasty desires. Just like, ugh. So if you want to do the new translation, you can say, and God gave them up to ugh stuff. Yeah, that's, that's official translation. Ooh, the passions. That's what he gave them up. Ooh. That's what he gave them up to. And it shows this level of God giving over. But notice, this, like I said, it's God gave them up. He gave them up unto uncleanness. He gave them up unto vile affections. And then he goes to the detail. I've been trying to avoid this, but it, it, it keeps coming up. 
And we ain't going to tackle it too tough here. I'm going to actually do a whole message on it. Because there's this idea in our world, and I got confronted with it a couple of times, that it's possible to be a homosexual Christian. There's an idea that you can be a homosexual Christian. And by that, they mean that you believe in monogamy. You want loving relationships. You just ain't out there at all the clubs and bouncing around and doing all the wild stuff like everybody show on the TV. You're looking for your soulmate too, just like everybody else. And you go to church and you believe in Jesus and you say your prayers at night and you read your Bible, just like all the other Christians. The only difference is you married to a man. That's that's a strong idea and there's some strong teaching out there for it. And so we'll tackle that. But the basic idea that I want to get at at this moment is there's a giving up that takes place. There's, there's, there's this idea that in the judgment of God, God has surrendered them. And it's time unto vile affections. And it shows you an idea of what God think about this stuff. It's the ooh. It's ooh stuff. Women changing their natural use. Men turning away from the natural use of women. It's stuff that should not be done. It says in verse 28, it said, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, one more time, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So just like they did not to retain, did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And like I said, that word even as could be just as or to the same degree that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them up. And that retain God in their knowledge is basically they didn't want to think about God. The way that they viewed the world, the, day, the way that they re- lived their lives, the way that they responded did not include the idea or the knowledge of who God is. They didn't think about God. They didn't forgot about him. They had rejected his existence from their lives. And this is a danger that we need to be cautious of because it's very easy because most of us get saved very late in life. So you got years of experience, years of education, years of practice of doing things without consulting God, without thinking about God, and you have created an idea and you think you understand the way the world works. And what ended up happening for a lot of people, you absorb some principles of Christianity and you take some of the moral practices and some of the ideas into your life and you absorb them into the things you already know. Because you already know some stuff about life. You've been living it for 20 some years. And so we take God and we take the the principles of God and we just absorb that into it. But the basic day-to-day practices of our lives, God ain't really got nothing to do with it. When we make decisions, we don't retain the knowledge of God in our lives. I look to it like, like a kid's drawing. You ever seen a kid when they draw a landscape and draw the house? They put the grass down there. They put up their little house. And they do nice, then they ended to put the little sun up there. And that's how I think that God works in most people's life. If you were to remove that sun from the picture, nothing in the picture would change. Because all the sun is doing in that picture is just completing the picture. That sun ain't a real sun. It ain't making the grass grow. You can see the picture without that sun because they drew it without it. And that's how God is in the most people's life. If you remove their belief in God, if you remove their faith in God, only thing that would change is they would sleep in more on Sunday morning. 
Because everything else they do is not dictated by their faith in God. It's dictated by their understanding of the world, which most times come from worldly sources and come from the training that they've been brought up with all of their lives. So that's why a lot of Christian homes look exactly like heathen homes. It's because that son is there for show. It's there to complete the picture. The picture was not complete until I draw that little semicircle up there and color the yellow and put some little lines on. And that's what God is in the life of most people. He just complete the picture. Now my life complete. I got God. I got a high power to believe in. We got the AA concept of God. You just got to think that there's somebody stronger than you. Like It could be you. You could be your high power. Like If it's me, I ain't higher. But they just have to have that point because Brother Bill put it in way back when when he started. He was a Christian. They don't feel comfortable just changing and kicking out all his stuff. So they just keep that little bit and get let people choose. Like that book on the shelf could be your high power. Whatever. You just got to acknowledge that something is greater than you. Like, no, that's foolishness. Because you they just got that picture with the sun in it. And so because we got a whole bunch of people who God is that picture in the corner, they don't allow God to illuminate, to change, to affect, to influence the decisions that they make. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And that word reprobate means a rejected mind. A mind that has been cast down. A mind that has been deemed unacceptable. That's what reprobate means. A rejected, unacceptable mind. Now this is where things get a little crazy at. Because we can understand a little bit uncleanness and God giving them over to uncleanness. We can even understand a little bit because it's all talking about homosexual stuff. See, ew. We can understand that. Like, God gave them over to vile affection. See, they just wanted to be like that and God let them be like that. Then he go a little bit deeper and say God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And this is where the controversy begins. Is this a description of all mankind without Jesus? Or is this a description of a greater level of judgment of God? That's the question. But before we get there, I'll just show you this idea of giving up. Is it possible for God to truly surrender people to, to, to stuff? Like that don't sound like a loving God. Go to go to Psalms 82. Let's just play with this for a little bit. Psalms 81, I'm sorry. Psalms 81. We'll start at verse 10. Psalms 81 verse 10. says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own hearts, lust, and they walked in their own counsel. This is God talking about his people. His covenant people. God was desiring to bless them. He said, but they would none of me. That would none of me, but they they ain't want none of me. They desired none of nothing to do with me. This is what their position was. I was looking to bless them, but they ain't want nothing to do with me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsel. So since they ain't want nothing to do with me, I let them do with what they wanted to do with. So the desires of their heart, I let them have it. The imaginations of their mind, I let that control them and dictate them because they ain't want nothing to do with me. You see, this is how God judges sometimes. This is how God reflects his punishment on people by letting them be who they want to be. He let them be great. Go to Isaiah 66. 
Isaiah 66, verse 1. It said, Thus said the Lord, The heavens is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things hath been, said the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrifices a lamb is as if he cut a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighted in their, in their abominations. I also would choose their delusions and would bring their fears upon them because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. This is heavy. And he gives a picture. God's speaking and he's calling the people. This part of the end and he wanted to bless them. After all these judgments, he, God is wanting to do good to the people. And he opens up with this, who's going to build a house for me? Where's the temple that you're going to make for me? Because everything you can bring to me, I gave to you and I created it all. So I ain't looking for no house. This is the thing that I'm looking for. He who was of a poor spirit and a contrite heart. So those folks who are broken, those folks who know that they're where they truly stand, these are the people that I'm going to be with. These are the people that I'm searching for. And it says, the people who trembles at my word. Poor contrite, trembling at the word of God. The word of God provokes fear in them. It provokes an awe. They, they, they get anxious about it. This is what God is looking for. But instead, what is he getting? Verse 3. It's sort of deep. Say, he that killeth the ox is like he slew a man. Now, the word killeth the ox is literally what it says. It refers to the making of sacrifice. So the folks who bring the bull to the temple, they offer sacrifice to God, Doing what God told them to do in their religious service unto the Lord. He said, you doing that is just like you killing a man. So your religious services, your religious offerings is sin unto me. That's deep. There's another place where it talks about the wicked in the book of Proverbs. It said, let his prayers be turned into sin. So what God is saying is you bringing an ox, you doing what I told you to do. You offering your sacrifices, you might as well kill a man up there. Because your offerings are just like sin. You sacrifice a lamb, you, just, you might as well just cut a dog neck. A dog is that which is unclean. It's unacceptable to be, to be put on to the temple. Now, you, you sacrifice lamb, yeah, that's good. I told you to do that, but you could have put a dog up there. It don't make no difference. I'm not accepting any of it. It's like you burning incense. Incense is representative of prayer. So you come into the temple, you light your incense, you offer your praise and your thanksgiving to God. You like you might as well bless idols. You might as well bow down to Molech or whoever is out there, Baal or whatever thing that they got going on nowadays. Your religious services, your religious sacrifices is sin unto me. Because when I called unto you, you would not answer me. When I spoke to you, you wouldn't respond. Therefore, I'm going to give you up to your fears, to the desires of your heart. This is a part of the judgment of God. So the things you bring these sacrifices, you don't want them to come. You bring these sacrifices, you don't want judgment to come. You bring these sacrifices, you don't want famine to come. What God is saying, you might as well just go out there and kill people and, and bless idols and do all that foolishness because judgment is going to come. Famine is going to come. All the evil that you want and desire, you're going to get it. 
Because when I was calling you, when I was beckoning unto you, you would not hear me. You just going about your religious services. But this shows us the heart of God towards sin. That God don't like it. God is fed up with it. God does takes no pleasure in the sacrifice of the wicked. So we have a nation of people who are sacrificing their praise and they come into church and they lifting up their hands and they make sure they pay their tithes and do all the good little stuff that they're supposed to do. We didn't train the nation of children. Well, they ain't got it no more. The children that I was with, we were trained that you, before you lay down, you say, now nah, lay me down to sleep. Lord, I pray to your soul to keep all that good stuff. And you, you bow your heads and you say your grace before you eat all these little things. And what God is saying, you might as well just be saying, Zeus, thank you for this meal. <laughs> I'm saying, that you, you might as well. So when you're getting on your knees at the nighttime, Praying to the same God that you've been disrespecting all day, man, you might well not even say nothing because it don't mean nothing to me. Because you want me to listen to you, but you ain't listening to me all day. You want me to respond to you, but you ain't respond to nothing I said. So you showing me what you truly want, so I'm gonna give you that. This shows the heart of God towards sin, and there is no religious act, there is no religious expression that we can do that will alleviate. The severity or the, the anger of God when it comes to these things. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Because these people try to alleviate the wrath of God by, by offering sacrifice. And we think we alleviate the wrath of God by saying, now nah, lay me down to sleep. Lord, I thank you for waking me up today. Then you spend the rest of your day doing whatever it is you want to do and not listening to him. That stuff don't make blessings flow and all that other type of stuff. Are you understanding? Because God's heart doesn't change towards sin. He still hate it. Go back to Romans. We might come back to that one. That's, that's, that's deep. Romans chapter 1. Let's finish this thing off. Verse 28. It says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, a rejected mind, a, a mind that is, is unacceptable to do those things which are not convenient. So they, they begin to live a life that is not sufficient. They begin to live a life that is not convenient. It, it ain't good for nothing. In verse 29 said, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. So these are all expressions of things that flow from the people with a reprobate mind. So uncleanness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. This is our world. That wickedness is just acts of violence, acts of, of just evil and calamity. That covetousness, that's self-explanatory. The, the rabbi talked to, I mean, the, the apostle talked, give a whole lesson about covetousness and how evil it is and how, and, but this shows us that it's a part of a rejected mind. So if your life is driven by covetousness, you just won't, 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 and got to have every little thing that come out, then that's a, that's a sign and that's a warning to you that you might just be a reprobate. Maliciousness full of envy Murder, debate, deceit, malignity, and whispers. Envy, that's pretty self-explanatory. They're full of it. They, 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 they live a life that's, that's desirous of everything other people have, and sometimes they get inside of them or they don't like people because you, you'd have met them people before. Be like, I don't like her. Why? I don't. I just don't. Then them type of people you're talking about. Murder, debate. That word debate means they, they stir up strife all the time. 
You got some people who just, they can't do nothing without an argument happening. They're just stirring up stuff. In the old English use of that word way back in the day, it used to mean violence. It's just folks that just always got to start something. There can't ever be no peaceful time when they're around. They always got to start something. These are these debaters. The whisperers, we call that gospel. That's, that's secretly telling bad on other folks. You secretly tearing slandering other folks. You ain't out there openly do it. You're secretly slandering people. These are the whispers. Malignity. Backbiters. Haters of God. Everybody know the backbiters and the backstabbers. Haters of God. That's, 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 that's a deep word. I'll like pause on that one for a second. The haters of God literally means they're irreverent or irreligious. They have no love or no reverence for anything that is sacred. That's the haters of God. Like, is it everything that is what it is? They don't care about nothing. You be like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up and there was this idea that certain things you weren't supposed to do in certain places. So if you're out playing football and one of your homeboys cussing, you say, man, man, you both cuss on Sunday. Anybody, y'all, y'all have a friend like that? Hey, man, you don't be cussing on Sunday. Uh, we in the church park a lot playing football. Man, you, you better stop, man. I'm saying, dude, you don't be cussing on We at church. And what this is, is that little one home, but man, I don't care about no church. <laughs> so, I don't care. You don't care me. That's the idea. They're, they're irreverent. There is nothing that is sacred. There is nothing that it should be hollow. Everything it is what it is. They don't care nothing about nothing. These are these haters of God, these profane people who just don't care. Despiteful. Them folks who do stuff just because they know it's going to make you mad. They do stuff just to anger you. Like most times we see that in little children. You get a little, and they realize that you don't like for your stuff to be moved off your dress. Especially if you had brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews living in the house with you, you've experienced it before. Like, once they realize it's going to make you mad, you got a little brother, he just come in and knock your stuff off the dress and just run back and sit down. Why? Because it's fun making you mad. They do it just despite you. Just to get you riled up and just to get you going. I had a niece like that. I'm talking about she wouldn't do nothing until she realized that somebody else didn't like it. Terrorizing just the whole house. Everybody ready to beat her down. And I thank God for it, cause it trained me. It, it was great training. Cause I, I had, like I said, I was a big basketball fan, so I had my card collection, had my posters and all that stuff, had my room set up just the way I wanted to. And she'll come in there, vroom, knock all my cards everywhere, knock my, tear my posters down, then stand at the door, wait on me to get mad and chase. Then if Yep, chase around the house. And when I chase her, it's just delight to her. She had a good little time. I catch her slang across the room, blue, she hit thing. You think she gonna be crying? She said, get up laughing, it's just a good little time. Go back, clean it up, she back again. You got one? Yeah. See, that's these despiteful people. Do, do stuff just because it make you mad. This 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 type of expression. Now the sad thing is there's some grown folk like that too. 
You just get excited by making other fools. You're just stirring up stuff. They just want to make you mad. And that's why the dating scene is so crazy because it creates spiders. What I mean by that is they recognize you like somebody so they don't even go with them but they're going to put a picture on Instagram of them being together and tag you in it. <laughs> Just because. So these are the type of people that has this reprobation. That's why you need to leave all that stuff alone. You ain't got to worry about the spider because ain't nobody crazy enough to do it in your face. Proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Now basically what that means is those folks, they sit down and they contemplate wickedness. That's just where their mind works. They just come up with wicked ideas. And my mind, when I think about this stuff, I think about the porn industry. <laughs> That's really what I think of. Uh, they just sit there and spend, spend their whole time just creating up ways, another ways and ideas to trap people into this drudgery that we call porn. They end up capturing people and, and, and you got sex trafficking going on and all this stuff and it's a billion dollar industry and they're catching people in and then we buying and we, we, we shopping it up and a lot of our preachers are shamed because they are the purveyors of it then but they want to speak against child trafficking and, and sex trafficking and all this stuff but they're buying the porn that been trafficked folks is producing that's a whole nother conversation disobedient to parents now this word disobedient to parents is, 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 is a catch it literally means those who will not listen or stubbornly respond to parents that's the disobedience. They stubbornly respond to parents. It ain't just they, you tell them to do something and they drag their halfway door. No, they, they, you have to, if I don't tell you, you know what I'm saying? You, you, because they're stubborn in the way that they respond. And there's a hardness when they listen to their people. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure all of them got about two or three of them. <laughs> but this, this is, this is a sign of reprobation. These disobedient to parents. And nowadays it's even worse because we got a whole nother generation of folks who are trained like this. That they ain't got to listen to nobody. Can't nobody tell you what to do. I'm talking about they like 10 years old. You don't tell me what to do. Like, what? Now you just don't know. <laughs> Kid, I'll snatch you up by your ankles and <laughs> make you do what I want you to do. But the children produce that in you because they got a hardness to where they fight against what their parents is instructing them to do. They fight against the commands of it. And you just have to, mm, but that's a sign of reprobation. Hard-headed, obstinate, disobedient. What am I? Verse 31 says, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Now this, this whole verse here just it's made me pause every time. That without understanding, like folks who just don't listen, folks who re- refuse to just to know that they don't know nothing, they're just ignorant, just for the sake of being ignorant. Not because they can't learn, just because they're ignorant. And you can't tell them that they're ignorant. Anybody ever dealt with somebody like that? Just as you try and teach them something that they don't know, and they, first, I know, you ain't got to tell me. Like, well, hold on, now. Nah. If you knew, you wouldn't be coming here asking me for help. Like I thought, man, folks always want to think they know everything. They do. You ask me. <laughs> I ain't ask you. That's these people without understanding. These people who just don't know. And but there, 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 there's a, a rawness in them once you reveal to them that they don't know nothing. And they gotta tell you, I know. 
I know you ain't got to tell me. Yes, I do got to tell you because you don't know. Then covenant breakers. Good Lord, that's a lot of money. Covenant breakers. This is a sign of reprobation. And the thing that always gets me with this, y'all have heard me say it a hundred billion times, I'm going to say it some more. God created marriage. It's an institution that God has created. And it's an institution, the way that he describes it, is bound together by a faithfulness that cannot be denied. That's why he said, the twain shall become one. So in the mind of God, this is a union that going to last forever. But we have reached a state. I remember when I was young and things, I guess right before I was born, I'm learning now things start to change. But I still remember a little bit of it in hearing people talk when they talked about <clears throat> divorce court and having to go to court for a divorce. You sometimes you hear these people getting their stuff together and they tell you they got to do this and they got to get this because they had to prove, make a case in divorce court. So they had to prove that the person was cheating. They had to prove that the person was violent or, or something for the court to grant them divorce. But now we in a day and age with the no fault divorce laws has been universal throughout the United States. Well, you can just get tired. And I don't want to be with them no more. And just quit. Or you just found somebody else that's more interested. And you just quit. And the amazing thing that always disturbed my soul is how commonplace this is amongst the people who call themselves the people of God. Especially amongst the people who call themselves the leaders of the people of God. There are many, too many times where a man has elevated himself and he has become a man of God. A person of the cloth. And he easily breaks this covenant. And it ain't nothing wrong with it. There's no fear. There's no trembling. There is no worry in their soul that they've done something wrong and uh oh, you might get in trouble. They just bring the new one up there. She just changed seats. She wore the lead single. Now she the first lady. Just a, a new chair. They move, you move from out there. You sit right there. Put your little cloth on your nap. Got it embroidered with your name in it. It's just like ain't nothing happened. That's foolishness. This easy covenant breaking, this refusal to uphold and, and maintain faithfulness to a standard faithfulness to your word is a sign of reprobation. All of these things are, are signs of reprobation. It's a sign of a rejected mind, a mind that God ain't quite pleased with. And I want to notice that we go through this thing, we could have focused on a couple more of them, is that these are not things that we deem to be the low and the of the low of society. Because the idea is that these reprobate people, that's like Jeffrey Dummer. See, he was given over to a reprobate mind. Now, Jeffrey Dummer does make the list. But so does Jeffrey who work at the VA. <laughs> he made the list too. Because he might not be killing nobody and chopping them up in freezers. But he's sleeping around with all the people at the office 
Ain't that on the list? That's a sign of reprobation. So he ain't out there at, at, at the gay pride parade who's saying a big linebacker in a dress holding up a sign. But he is out there at the, at the club, at the freaknik, looking up dresses. Both of them make the list. So there's no difference between the man who participated in the drag queen hour and the man who down there getting drunk and feeling on little girls at the drag race. Both of them are showing an example of the same reprobation that God does hate. Just like the person who is marrying a person that is of the same sex, so is the pastor who is disregarding and casting off his wife. They showing an example of the same rejection, the same reprobation that God hate, that God pushes himself away from a mind that God ain't quite pleased with. And this thing go on and on. The covenant breaker said that without natural affection, this all of these things that show the statuses in our world. That without natural affection means there's no filet or no family love. There's hatred that the, the normal idea of the connection that's supposed to be through family and through brethren just does not exist in these people. We don't call it that. We call it a woman's right to choose. That's what we call it nowadays. We call it freedom of choice. And I look at it and see, uh, that ain't no natural affection. Even in the doctors that's able to execute this stuff. How can a man promise and, 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 and agree and, and sign his name that he here for the help of life and ain't going to do no harm, stick a needle up into a baby's brain, suck their brains out, Stick a vacuum and suck all the pieces out and sit there and count hands, feet, toes. That's a head. That's a back. That is, that's crazy. That a human being can do that. That's like the man found recently had all these little babies piled up in the freezer. Thousands of little babies just sitting up in his house. And we revere people like this as being exemplary leaders in, in, of our society. That ain't natural. That's a sign of reprobation. The fact that we have senators and leaders and governors and House of Representative people who can parade and stand up and say, I wish we could just take babies out and snap their necks and just go and be done with it. That even here in our very own state that's supposed to be the right wing state. That we got people telling us that, hey, why in the world are we starting to stop abortion? We either going to kill them while they're in the womb or kill them after they get out of the womb. These are our leaders. That's without natural affection. Our hearts should break to see the death, the murder, the decay of people. Even here in this right-wing state, you got people that are going to argue with you when you try to explain to them that some things ought not to be. So when people are being gunned down, when people are being shot, when people are being mistreated and abused, just like dogs hung out in the streets, it's like, man, well, oh, uh, did he rob the store? What's <laughs> that? Get excuse you shoot no man in the back and blow his head off. But that's a lack of this natural affection where our hearts don't break no more for people. And that's a sign of reprobation that we can allow children just to be slaughtered by the millions. And it's just a political debate. What side you on? That doctors don't even register in their mind that you, this is evil. 
that we allow children to be educated in this stuff and that they are being detached from the reality of it, which increases the reprobation in their own mind because they don't recognize babies. They recognize fetuses. Like that's something other than a human being. And it's the same idea that was paraded a long, long time ago in this institution that we claim to be against. And it's an amazing thing. Like the woke folks out there. Y'all don't know the woke folks. Them deep folks, like they be real deep and they know everything about everything that happened in the past. But they don't have no idea what's going on right now. Unless it's on YouTube. But the woke folks, they berate and, and we need reparations and we need to be especially ones in church. The whole church need to repent. Anybody who got Presbyterian behind their church, they need to stand up and come outside and repent and confess their sin to God. Because they committed atrocities and evils and the whole Southern Baptist Convention need to repent because they committed atrocities and evil against the black people, the people that God brought to this planet, the people who God raised up. Like we, we got that stuff, that stuff deep. And you see, they, they mistreated us and, and we had people had to march and tell you that they was a man because they are human beings and they treated us as less than human beings. They, they had to get deep and they tell you how we were two thirds of a man and all that type stuff. And they're deep because they get outraged that people can treat people like they're not people and not human beings. But then now on days detail, you tell a man, I sort of agree with the abortion bill thing, man. I don't think babies should be getting slaughtered. See, no, 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 no. See, now you got the human rights. The same stuff you were voting against, them slave owners, they were talking about their rights to choose. They were talking about their rights to be free. They were talking about their rights to have a state. They were talking about their rights to earn money and do all this stuff. And now these women killing babies, they talking about their rights to be free. They talking about their rights to make a career, to earn money and do all that same stuff. They're making the same argument. Why you hate one and love the other? Both of them are without natural affection. The slave owner who hang a man cutting off testicles and, and, and cutting ankles and doing all this stuff to, to humiliate a people. Ain't no different than the abortion-minded mother who out there slaughtering children, got needles getting sticked all up their arm, got their babies getting vacuumed out and cut into little bit of pieces. They the same people making the same arguments for the same thing, but one of them is right and has a right to choose. So why do slave folk can have a right to choose? Is that what you believe? But that shows you that we have people that are, that's not driven by just plain old natural affection. Old folk call it common sense. Stumps up that shouldn't be. And another one that said these people are implacable and unmerciful. That implacable is just, I like that word. But basically, you can't please these people. These people, they just ain't ever satisfied. They hungry, you cook them something to eat, they gonna ask you why you ain't make ribs. <laughs> Come on now. It's time to go back to school. You buy all their school supplies. You buy all their clothes. You, you buy them shoes and all that stuff. And they want to ask you why you ain't getting no joy. Come on. Like, 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 for real. Ain't nothing you can do to satisfy a certain group of people. And if you meet people like that, you meet people who has a sign of reprobation. They just, ain't nothing, nothing can satisfy them. These are all signs on examples or expressions of reprobation. But the question is, like this, got to be some deep thing, some extra. Everybody can't be reprobate. And the reason I just went through this list playing with it a little bit is because it shows you that the stuff we call normal, God calls examples of a reprobate mind. We know people who are envious. 
and we think they're just regular human beings. God knows people who are envious. He said they are people with a mind that he does not accept. And if you track the book all the way through, you'll notice that this idea of reprobation come up again. But later in chapter 8, he called it the flesh. He said the natural mind or the carnal mind is enmity against God. God hates it. You understand what I'm saying? And all of these things are expressions of the flesh. If you read Galatians 5 and you go through the list of the flesh, a lot of this stuff going to match up. Because these are just natural expressions of natural human being being who they are. But what I'm here to tell you is that the natural human being who he is is a human being that is in absolute rejection to God. God don't accept natural man. God is not a fan of natural man. God is angry at natural man. And if you see these sins displayed in you, what you are seeing is testimony of a mind, of a heart that God ain't quite pleased with. That's why you can't be a carnal Christian. Because the carnal mind is the enmity of God. So you can't be an enemy and a friend at the same time. This ain't no Disney movie. You have to pick a team. And the thing I want to create within us is the same hatred God has for these things. We need to have it for ourselves. So that when we see any of this in us, in our children, in our family, it should break us and drive us to our knees to beg and pray to God to have mercy on us. And not this contentment that we got that this is just a struggle that I'm struggling with right now. One day it's going to get better. No, this is a cancer that is destroying you right now. And one day it's going to kill you. Because God rejects it all. 2 Corinthians 13, Paul talked, told the people that they need to try themselves or examine themselves to make sure that they're in the faith, lest they be a reprobate. So in his mind, you can either be in the faith or you can be a reprobate. There's no like step down. This idea of reprobation ain't something that we got to look for way, way deep down danger and hope that God don't come get me. What it is is that once you express these ideas, once you express these activities, you don't glorify God. You're not thankful to God. You're not keeping God in your mind yet that you are a reprobate. You're living based off your lust and your lust drives you. The evil compassions of your heart. I mean, the evil passions of your heart dictate what you do. You are a reprobate. God is not pleased with that. And there's anger in God. But there's also hope. Go to Matt, Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. And we'll take it on home from now. Micah chapter 7. We'll start at verse 7. Micah 7 verse 7. Uh, go down, go down. Let's just say time. Go to verse 18. Say, who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighted in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is this, <clears throat> this is the end of God's passion, if you read the whole thing, is God is showing judgment coming upon the people. Then it's starting by the middle of chapter 7, he starts to give hope. And this is the end of his hope thing. And it says, who is God like our God? So what other ruler is there like our God? He pardons iniquity. He forgives transgression. Say he will not retain his anger forever. 
So that means God ain't going to always be mad. But that teaches us two things now. That God is mad. God is upset. God is disturbed. He's frustrated. It said the nostrils of the Lord has been flared. But he delights to show mercy. So it's to the same degree that God is angry and he hates sin. He delights to show mercy. It gives God joy. It brings satisfaction to his heart to show mercy, to forgive, and to express his compassion to people. So while we allow the weight of our rejection from God, God hates all sin. If you're living in sin, you're not a friend of God. You're an enemy of God. You're in a place where God ain't quite pleased with you. Psalm 7, he's angry with the wicked every single day. But the anger of God can be overcome by the compassion of God. He delights to show mercy. Go to Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 10. Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions of our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? This is Ezekiel's question. If we got sin on us, if we got these transgressions in us, how are we going to live? They pine away at us. They tan us down. They leading us into this place of judgment and damnation. But God says, say unto them, as I live, said the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why would you die, O house of Israel? This is the plea of God. But you have to understand the whole picture. God hates sin. He hates iniquity and is producing death on his people. What's called a plea and a cry in the heart of God. He's saying, why would you die? Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your iniquities and live. You have to turn in order to live. Because if you stay in your sin and you stay in your iniquity, you will die. You're going to be like the people Isaiah talked about that's bringing oxen that might as well be killing folk. So if you out here repeating after the preacher and saying this sin of prayer, but all of your heart is filled with wickedness and you got your mind made up of what you're going to do and how you're still going to live your life, then you are not doing anything but dying. You have a religious death. So that's why God said, I dwell in the midst of the people with a poor and a contrite heart. Recognize your wretchedness. Recognize the fact that you are broken, that you are an enemy of God and you need mercy. Go to Joel chapter 2 and we'll end with this. One. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. And please just, 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 just hear the voice of the Lord in this. Therefore, also now said the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your hearts and not your garments and turn to the unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repented him of the evil. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sanctify fast. Call a solemn assembly. And it's the picture that God has given Joel. Or Joel, depending on what part of the country you're from. If you read the whole book of Joel, it's a book of judgment. 
God is casting judgment on the people. He talked about the darkness and the gloominess. He talked about the day of the Lord. Like y'all talking, looking forward for the day of the Lord. But for you, the day of the Lord is going to be darkness, not light. It's going to be a day of mourning, not a day of rejoicing. So he's giving them this doom and picture. Y'all ain't ready for God to come. Y'all don't want God to show up because when he show up, it ain't going to be good for you. But here in chapter 2, he begins to give them hope. And the hope comes in the form of a cry. Like, since we know this judgment is coming, since we know that God is going to bring calamity, since we know he's bringing these soldiers and his army, our town's going to be ravished, our food's going to be destroyed, we're not going to have any substance of life, turn therefore unto the Lord. Turn to him. Rend your hearts and not your garments. And that's the same picture. A sign of mourning back in the day was you tear your, your cloak off. You tear your coat up, put ashes on your head. And that's to show people that you're really sad and you're grieving right now. But we say, I don't want these religious ceremonies. Allow your heart to be torn, not your clothes. So don't just let it be an outward thing. Don't just let us come together for a show. Don't just let us come together for a religious thing. Don't just let us follow through these rituals, these formulas. Your heart needs to be truly broken. And if you do that, I like the way the prophet says, that maybe the Lord will turn from his way. If you turn from your your yard, God might turn from his. And it's the idea that shows the picture that we're not dealing with a formulaic God. We're dealing with somebody who makes decisions, who responds, who listens, who hears. And it ain't just no automatic thing that if you say this right prayer the right way at the right time, in the right posture, at the right point of the service, then God going to forgive you and you're going to go to heaven. No, you're dealing with a real God and you need to plead with him. You need to talk to him. You need to open up your heart and allow him to be God in you and not just trust in the form of this service, but plead and beg that God have mercy on you. So turn to him with weeping and fasting and crying. Allow your hearts truly to be broken. But you can only get to this place once you see the severity that we're in. So when I'm being disobedient to parents, when I'm fornicating, when, when I got all these evil inventions going on in my mind, when I'm being malicious, trying to attack people, trying to hurt people, when I'm being implacable, that means I can't be pleased. Nothing ever satisfied me. All these things is a sign that I'm in a position that God is not pleased with. That I'm in a position where God rejects me. The carnal mind is an enemy of God. If I love the world, which means I live off the lust of my eyes, the lust of my flesh, and the pride of life, that means I hate God. And we are enemies. If I find any expressions of those things within myself, I should not be pleased and think that it's okay. Because I remember that time, I got it down in the back of my Bible, that I, I repeated after that preacher, so now I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and live forever. That's a lie. God hates sin. That's the truth. But God is a loving and a merciful God. And so please, what you don't do is allow the, the weight and the heaviness of this to drag on you and, and, and it puts you out in the depths of depression. No, you get sorry. Feel bad. Feel sad. But let that drive you to God and understand that he's merciful. And what you need is not a formula. What you need is not to repeat after nobody. What you need is not for somebody to lay hands on you. What you need is to cry out to God for his mercy. Because you can do all those other expressions and still be a sinner. How many times have people been in the services and they with the preaching, the man lay hands on them, they fall out, and they get home and go and watch porn. 
just to do it over again. Most of the time, the man who laying hands on you got a little something on his hand. Because he's doing the same thing you're doing. And there's no power in these religious expressions. There's no power in these formulas. There's no power in these rituals and routines. All power lies with God. So don't allow tradition to trick us and to get acceptable and think that because I have these moments where I feel good and I pray and I get the goosebumps, that means I'm still okay. See, God is still, he's still moving on me. That's a lie. I'm saying just because I sin, I feel bad about it, and I say, God, forgive me for my wickedness, that means God's still okay to me because I got to repent it hard, and, and the Christian life is all about a life of repentance. That's a lie. When we allow sin to dwell in us and to live without that hatred and that loathing, we allow ourselves to be deceived and sucked into a life that's going to ultimately lead in destruction. But do not forget, do not forget that our God is a God of mercy, a God that hears the prayers of his people. And those prayers that he want to hear is a prayer of a broken heart. You don't got to know the right way to say it. You got to know the real way to say it. And we don't care what it sounds like, long as it's real, long as it's coming out of a broken heart. If you're crying and you're mumbling and you got snot running all down, that's fine. All it has to be is real. But it's a real seeking for mercy from a real person. Not trusting in a formula that's just going to get you by. Are y'all with me? So this state of reprobation is a real state that everybody who do not like God is in. But the redemption of it, the power of God that reveals righteousness is a real power. But it begins at understanding your need for this. And seeking this God of mercy. Anybody got any questions?